Today on Blue 58, the Packers took a step on Sunday, and now they get to turn around on short rest and try to win back-to-back games for the first time since September. But the Titans aren't going to make it easy. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. And we've got a lot to cover in this one. The Packers are making moves left and right today, and we'll talk about personnel shifts before we talk about Packers-Titans. So, starting with their personnel moves, we got news today that Packers cut Amari Rodgers and Kylan Hill. Half of that is a small surprise, and half of that is a big surprise. The small surprise half is Amari Rodgers, to me at least, because I'm legitimately surprised to see the Packers cutting Rodgers because it's taken so long and it's been so obvious for so long that you could almost see the Packers trying to ride this out, but they ultimately make the move today to cut Amari Rodgers, and we don't need to explain to anybody why. He's been bad as a punt returner, and he can't find a role on the offense, even in situations where the Packers have seemingly no healthy wide receivers, nobody ahead of him in the slot. There is just no role for him on the Packers' offense, and not being able to find a role for for him either is an indictment on the coaching staff, and it doesn't really look like that's the case, or it's just he's not a very good player. And at least as far as the Packers are concerned, they're done trying to find out if he's a good player or not. Kylan Hill, though, is the big surprise. They liked him for a long time, clearly. They wanted to keep him around as he rehabbed his his torn ACL from last year. And at least as far as the football stuff goes, it's hard to imagine what could have changed as far as the Packers' perception of him as a football player between when he came off the physically unable to perform list and now. So my initial thought was this was some sort of non-Hill-related thing, maybe clearing a roster spot for people coming off injured reserve and they would pick him up in the practice squad or something like that, or that it could be a non-football thing. And we didn't have any outside evidence of that until Matt LaFleur spoke this afternoon. One of the first questions he took was, why Kylan Hill was cut, and it's a longer clip, but this is what he had to say. You know, being a member of the Green Bay Packers, it's it's a privilege, and there are standards and expectations that are placed on every member of this team that we expect guys to live up to, and, you know, I I appreciate what Kylan's been through, and um, I know it hasn't been easy coming back from, from that knee injury that he, he suffered a year ago that was a pretty devastating hit and um, he's a guy that we had some high expectations for and I, I realized that uh, he is in a loaded room and but regardless of your role no matter how big or how small we expect guys to come to work and uh, you know just be supportive and and own that role to the best of their ability and when you don't do that this is what happens. So, reading between the lines there a little bit, it seems like there was some maybe misunderstanding between Kylan Hill and the rest of the the organization as to what his role was supposed to be returning from that, that ACL injury. What was that role? What role did he want? We can't know for sure, but maybe he was hoping for more opportunities as the number three running back. Maybe he was hoping to get a shot as a kick returner since that was a not if not a primary role for him last year, one of one of his biggest responsibilities with the Packers prior to the injury. 
Now he's out of a job, and the Packers promote Patrick Taylor to take his place on the 53-man roster. It is nice to see him back. It does make sense. The Packers like his skill set as a running back, and he adds some some significant value on special teams too, especially on the punt team. Does some good stuff in coverage and as a blocker there. The Packers also added two other guys to their practice squad today, reportedly. It's Dede Westbrook and Tim Ward. Westbrook is a wide receiver, but basically he is a punt returner. He's got 69 career punt returners for a 9.3-yard average. Last in the NFL with the Minnesota Vikings last year, well, most notably with the Vikings last year, 22 punt returns for them for 183 yards uh, in 2020, 2021. Interestingly enough, he used to get a ton of targets with the Jacksonville Jaguars. He received more than 200 targets between 2018 and 2019. In fact, it was the exact same number both years, 101. But he generated under 1,400 yards, 6.8 yards per target. Not a a high-value wide receiver, but shows that he can at least do it. And maybe he gets involved in some of the jet sweep, Amari Rodgers-type stuff on offense if they have him out there at all. Tim Ward Joining the practice squad is a depth move for edge rushers. They list him as a linebacker. He's been a defensive lineman elsewhere in the league. He's an he's an edge rusher. Six foot six, two hundred and fifty five pounds. He was undrafted in twenty nineteen. Has played for the Chiefs and the Jets, logging one career sack in his roughly three years in the NFL. He played his college football at Old Dominion. He tore his ACL in the fall of 2018, which may have affected his draft situation. Hard to say for sure because he was pretty pretty much just a rotational guy at Old Dominion, but pretty productive in that role. A career, career production ratio just under one, uh, 14 college sacks, 30 and a half tackles for loss in 47 career games. They need some depth uh, at edge rusher. This is a way for them to get it. Related to both of, well, a couple of the moves in there because the Packers ultimately make a, a bunch of moves today. I, we have a question. We had a question that has been sitting in my inbox here for a couple weeks and wanted to take a second on before we get to Packers Titans. Uh, both Discord users, No Misery and FMP330, both asked variations of this question. Given what the Packers have been going through with their punt and kick returners the past couple of weeks, really, what's the difference between those two jobs? It's more about body types than what you're specifically doing relative to what you have to do once you get the ball. Punt returners are primarily going to be about lateral agility and quick acceleration and making catches in traffic. So think about guys like defensive backs and small slot receivers. Amari Rodgers is a pretty good example of the archetypal punt returner. A little bit of an older reference, early 2000s, Antonio Chapman is kind of the, the mental platonic ideal I have of, of punt returners. Just a small guy, you know, 5'10", 190, 185 pounds, something like that, but a lot of lateral agility. Thinking about, you know, elsewhere in the league, if you're a, a football fan of a certain age, uh, Dante Hall, the, the great returner for the Kansas City Chiefs in the early 2000s is like the epitome of the punt returner. Just a human joystick sort of person. A lot of back and forth type stuff. Kick returner, meanwhile, is more about bulk and mass and straight line speed. In draft preview stuff, we talk about speed score from time to time. Basically, that's all about moving mass in a straight line. A guy like Kristen Michael, uh, who was with the Packers back in 2016, uh, comes to mind there because he was 225, 230-pound running back, but ran in the 4-4s in the 40-yard dash and he could move mass in a straight line and was a pretty decent kick returner as a result. 
you tend to have guys that are more about top end speed, maybe a little bit longer buildup and being able to break some tackles here. In recent, and we say recent here because it dates back to the early 2000s, but fairly recent Packers history, some of their more effective kickoff returners have been guys like Najee Davenport, 240-something pounds, 230-something pounds as a running back. Jordy Nelson had some some good time as a, a kickoff returner early in his career. And Jeff Janis, too. Uh, more more high-end speed, not necessarily a lot of quick acceleration, quick small cuts, but once he gets up to speed, he'll be able to, to run through some tackles and shake off some tackles and things like that. More often, you get punt return guys who can serve as kick returners than vice versa. It's, it's very rare to see one of those heavier guys who's a good kick returner make the switch and be a punt returner than the other way around. And that's what, kind of what the Packers have now in, in Keyshawn Nixon, back returning punts. He's more of a traditional punt returner type guy, but they like him on, on kickoff returns too, just because he seems to have a knack for finding an open lane and, and just going. But uh, that is basically the difference. Uh, acceleration and short area quickness versus uh, top end speed and being able to move move some bulk, move some mass. So there's kickoff return, punt return talk, a couple roster moves, and now it's time for Packers-Titans. It feels rushed, but I suppose that's the spirit of Thursday Night Football. You're going to turn around and you're going to play another game really, really quickly here. So here come the Titans to Lambeau Field. Every time the Packers play the Titans, for me it's just a reminder that they exist. I have almost no reason to think about the AFC South on a normal day. I'm guessing you don't either. And the Titans have kind of been on the fringes of relevancy for so long that they almost seem like a stock character at this point. You better watch out for these guys. You know, you see them in a sports movie and they're either the time, the team, that helps you prove that you can take care of business or they take you out. They show you that, yeah, you can hang with the big boys or you're not ready for prime time yet. I think you know the sort of movies where they pop up. If it's the um, the team that shows you that you're not ready yet, your protagonist team will play them like the second game of the year. They maybe won their first game close, but oh no, it's so-and-so high school. They're usually pretty good, but we should be able to take them and you just get pounded. Or like mid-season, things aren't going well, and here comes the the tough team from down south or something, and they just pound the protagonist into the turf. And later on, they'll like come back and beat that team later. That's kind of always the Titans for me because lately they've been better. They haven't been the laughing stock of the NFL, but they're hardly a powerhouse either. And adding to that perception is Derrick Henry, I think, because he's almost mythical, even in a relatively short NFL career already. He's in his sixth year or whatever, but he hasn't been playing Tom Brady years. We'll put it that way. But he is kind of like this tall tale, almost Bunyan-esque figure. You think he's big? Well, actually in real life, he's bigger. You think he's productive? Well, he's even more so. You think he's going to run you over? Absolutely. You bet he will. And looking at the balance of his career so far, I think he's pretty close to being on a Hall of Fame track. He's already got a 2,000-yard season. He's led the NFL in rushing two times. A thousand more rushing yards from where he is right now gets him into the top 40 all time. 2,000 more gets him to the top 30. 3,000 more gets him into the top 25. I think if he can make it to three times as a league leading rusher while ultimately getting to that top 30, top 25, 
That probably does it for a 21st century running back. We know that running back roles have changed. If he can get to those statistical plateaus, I think probably a Hall of Fame is going to come calling for Derrick Henry at some point. Some team success would go a long way there too. The Titans as a team come in at 6-3, and three, winners of six of their last seven. Their only loss in that stretch was in overtime to the Chiefs, and there is certainly no shame in that. The Chiefs, as you've probably heard, are pretty good. They are, however, a bit on the overachieving side, the Titans, not the Chiefs. By point differential, they're closer to a 4-5 and five or 5-4 five and four team right in the middle there. Uh, they are 5-2 and two in games decided by a touchdown or less, leaning more on the, the luckier side of things than we're just pounding people into the turf. And they are 1-1 one and one in games decided by more than 7 points. So they are about as likely to get beaten badly as they are to beat somebody badly. On offense, it's not great. 26th in scoring, 32nd in yards, 29th in drives ending in points. They're 17th by passing DVOA, 16th by rushing DVOA, but they are 7th in rushing attempts and 9th in rushing yards. Tell me what you think their approach is going to be. They want to run the ball. Their offensive coordinator has one of the more interesting career paths I've seen um, in our recent previews. It's been a while since I've seen somebody like Todd Downing. He started with the Minnesota Vikings at age 23 back in 2003 as a football systems analyst who was in that role for a couple years, then became a quality control assistant, jumped to the St. Louis Rams in 2006 and was a defensive and special teams assistant for a couple years before switching over to defensive quality control. He got a job with the Lions in 2009 as an offensive quality control coach and in 2010 moved over to the quarterback's room where he was an assistant quarterback's coach. Then from 2011 through 2013, he was the quarterback's coach for the Lions. Then he held that same job for the Bills in 2014, the Raiders in 2015 and 2016, before finally he got promoted uh, to be the Raiders' offensive coordinator in 2017. He held that job for just one season before moving over to Tennessee, where he became the tight ends coach when Mike Vrabel uh, became the head coach there, shortly after, actually, uh, because it was the year after Matt LaFleur left there to become the, the head coach of the Green Bay Packers, of course. Uh, Downing coached tight ends for two years there before becoming the offensive coordinator in 2021 and has held that role uh, since then. Their scheme is entirely dependent on Derrick Henry and running the ball well. And generally speaking, that's been a pretty successful way to go for them because Ryan Tannehill has also been very efficient when he throws the ball more often than not. This year, their quarterback is, of course, Ryan Tannehill, except when it is occasionally Malik Willis. And Willis has been getting the we-have-an-athletic-young-quarterback package sometimes. My guess is that we'll see both of them on Thursday. I don't think we need to spend a lot of time on either one of them, because you know who Ryan Tannehill is at this point. He is a fast, worse Kirk Cousins. He is the guy who you're not going to count on to straight-up win the game for you, not even to the extent that the Vikings count on Cousins sometimes, but he's more athletic than Cousins. He can hurt you on the ground from time to time. And Malik Willis is a more athletic version of that from what I've seen so far, and probably not quite where Tannehill is as a passer so far. The real story with the Titans is their offensive line, because they're all over the map here. They're not great in pass blocking, but they're pretty good as run blockers, and that explains a lot of Derrick Henry's success. According to ESPN, they are 28th in pass block win rate. They are 15th in run block win rate, though, and 8th in football's outsiders adjusted line yards. Uh, By pro football focus's grading, they are 32nd in pass blocking grade, and they are 8th in run blocking grades. And just as a commentary on all of those different numbers, 
I've noticed that passing grades from Pro Football Focus tend to be a little bit lower than the pass block win rate stuff from ESPN, and run blocking grades tend to be a little bit higher than run block win rate. I don't know entirely what to make of that. Take it for whatever you will. Um, Just want to give as much context to these numbers as we can as we, we use them in our previews. If we're playing Find the Donkey, I think it's Dennis Daly, their left tackle. No Titans offensive lineman has a higher pass blocking grade than 62 out of 100 from Pro Football Focus. Most of the guys are in like the 40s or 50s. But four out of five of the Titans offensive line have pretty good run blocking grades. Dennis Daly is not a good pass blocker or a good run blocker, though. But here's the thing. Who's going to attack him? You don't have Rashawn Gary. Preston Smith is a bit dinged up. The defensive line is weak. And then you've got J.J. Enigbari and Jonathan Garvin. And that's about it. They might have a weak spot on their offensive line. I'm not sure they've got anybody who can exploit it. In the passing game, let me just read you some numbers. Because the, the Titans passing game is... Well, just listen to the numbers. Robert Woods, formerly of the uh, Los Angeles Rams, leads the team in catches. He has 24. Nobody else on the team has more than 20. He also leads the team in yards with 266. Only one other player has more than 200. Traylon Burks is worth a mention, though. He was their 18th overall pick or the 18th overall pick in the NFL draft this spring. Last week was his first game back due to injury in a while. He started the season, then went on injured reserve. He's played in five total games this year, 13 catches, 153 yards. He's pretty big, six foot three, 225 pounds. Okay, we've, we've made mention of him. If the Titans have a big passing game, it's going to be because the Packers let it happen, not because the Titans are good at passing the ball. In the ground game, it's Derrick Henry. What else do you want to say? Ryan Tannehill is the only other player on the Titans with more than 20 rushing attempts. Running back Dontrell Hilliard has 18 carries for 123 yards. He is their receiving back. If there is such a thing in Tennessee, 15 catches, 146 yards, and three touchdowns this year. If he's going to be involved in their offense, that is probably how it's going to happen. So how do the Packers stop the Titans' offense? Well, if I haven't made this clear enough, the Titans are going to try to run the ball. And let's hope for the best against that because, as we've said, The Packers are a little bit light up front, and they're dealing with some injuries on the edge on top of that. I don't know if they can slow down Henry and company with just defense. They might need some help from the offense, and that's where things get a little bit complicated because there are some strengths for the Titans on defense. They are 8th in scoring defense, but 23rd in yards allowed. They are ninth in takeaways. They're 13th in passing DVOA. They are first in rushing DVOA. And let me tell you, they are first by a wide margin. The statistical gap, according to Football Outsiders, between the Titans and second place is about the same as the margin between the second place team and the 10th place team. The Titans are as far ahead of second place as second place is ahead of 10th place. They are the best run defense in the NFL by a long ways. Mike Vrabel has a lot of input on the defense, their head coach. 
He is a former NFL linebacker, so naturally he's going to have thoughts on that side of the ball. Their defensive coordinator is 36-year-old Shane Bowen. He's been with the Titans since 2018 and was their play-calling, not defensive coordinator, but a play-caller as an outside linebackers coach for a couple of years before he officially got the defensive coordinator job in 2021. He doesn't talk a lot about scheme specifics. I did some research on, on his schematic philosophies and stuff like that. He doesn't get super in-depth on what he likes to run from a scheme perspective, which I translate, and based on what you hear from Mike Vrabel a lot of times too, I translate as wanting that as wanting to tailor things specifically to what their players do well, which I think is a good way of going about constructing a defensive scheme. I can't tell you if it's like a 3-4 or 4-3 type deal, and it doesn't really matter. They're going to try to highlight their best players. And speaking of their best players, they've got a couple of real noteworthy studs this year. That starts with defensive lineman Jeffrey Simmons, former first-round pick. He's elite as a run defender and as a pass rusher. The thing is, he may not play this week. He's been dealing with some lower body stuff. He says he's going to be good to go. We'll see. The other guy you really got to know about is edge rusher Danico Autry. He's got a 13% pressure rate on the year, just slightly lower than a guy like Preston Smith. He's got a pressure rate of 20% on true pass sets this year. That's, again, just a little bit lower than a guy like Preston Smith this year, too. They've got elite production numbers from their pass rushers. In terms of production ratio, Danico Autry, Jeffrey Simmons, Rashad Weaver, and Bud Dupree all are at 1.0 or higher. Simmons and Dupree, though, are hurt and may not play. So a lot of what the Titans do on defense is going to come down to who they have available. So where should the Packers attack? I think overall, you would look at the Titans and say they are in the good but not great defensive category, except against the run. So they have some vulnerabilities through the air. And that's where the Packers' discipline is going to be important in this one, because I think it's going to be seductive or alluring to try to pass against the Titans a whole bunch. But if Simmons can't go, and even if he does, the Packers, I think, have to at least commit to trying in the run game. Because as exciting as it was to see Christian Watson open things up for them last week, if Simmons and Dupree and the rest of their horses up front are healthy, I'm not sure the the, the Packers can protect well enough to take advantage of any weak spots in the secondary. So they're going to have to commit to some suboptimal running lest the defense dictate to the offense what the offense is going to do. Last time the Packers saw the Titans was in 2020. It was that beautiful snow game. Uh, Packers win 40-14. to A.J. Dillon has his coming out party after a long absence due to COVID. He gets a bunch of action in this one because Jamal Williams was banged up. Aaron Jones also got a little bit banged up in this one, but was still plenty productive. A.J. Dillon, though, 21 carries, 124 yards, and two touchdowns. Aaron Jones, 10 carries, 91 yards. Devontae Adams, even better than both of them. 11 catches, 142 yards, and three touchdowns. Man, that Devontae Adams guy was pretty darn good, wouldn't you say? Interesting note, uh, one of the two teams has scored at least 40 points in four of the last five games between the Packers and Titans. I think that streak is going to break this time around. But it's funny to see kind of these fluky, weird games whenever these two teams, or most of the time these two teams, get together. So how do the Packers find their way to win this game? I think it starts with hoping that Jeffrey Simmons doesn't play because that makes things a whole lot easier for the Packers' offense. And if the Packers can have a similar game plan to what we saw against the Cowboys, just continue to run, focus on the run, pound away, uh, and pass when it's and when it's necessary and be efficient, uh, 
that gets them a lot closer to to victory. I think they also have to sell out to stop Derrick Henry. In 2020, we saw um, Mike Pettin go with a a completely different defensive approach against the the Titans than he had really in any game prior to that. Really loaded up up front, uh, put a lot of heavy bodies out there against the Titans. Tyler Lancaster played a big role in that game, just being heavy up front. The Packers need a similar sort of approach in this one. And they have really shied away from putting heavy bodies on the field. I mean, Jonathan Ford can barely get active for a game much less play. But if he's going to play, this is the time. This is the time when you need some beef up front. It's worked before, and the Packers need that to work again. And if they're able, the Titans, that is, are able to beat the Packers outside of the Packers just committing full stop to stopping the run, I think you just shake their hand and say, good job, because that is their offense. You've got to slow down the run. And if you can either slow it down with your defense or get ahead enough with your offense that they just can't run anymore, that's the way to beat them. Will the Packers be able to do that? Truthfully, I don't know what to think. Last week's game was exciting. The Packers looked really, really good. In a normal week, I would have a pretty high degree of confidence that the Packers would be able to do that again. The Packers should be able to duplicate that performance in a normal week. But this isn't a normal week. And I think player availability on both sides is going to swing it. If Jeffrey Simmons is available and he plays to his full potential, I think the Titans are going to win. If he's not, or if he doesn't, I think they won't. Because in theory, the same Packers game plan should work. You should be able to pound away if he's not at 100% and get enough going in the ground game to make your passing game that much more efficient. If you can't do that, though, and it has to be all passing, I don't know if the Packers are there yet. Let's be clear, though. We're in a phase of must-win games. The Packers have close to no margin of error. They got no breaks this past weekend. The Washington Commanders couldn't even do the good thing and uh, the right thing and lose to the Eagles, which is a real bummer because that is the, one of the teams the Packers need to get past to get into the wild, that wild card spot. The 49ers also didn't lose this weekend, so again, a bummer there too. But the Packers need to win. That is, on top of everything else that needs to happen for them to get to the playoffs, that is what needs to continue to happen. The Packers do, to an extent at least, control their own destiny. They need, above all else, to keep winning so they don't have to rely on these other teams losing as much. They've got to win. This game is winnable. The Titans are going to make it tough on them because they can run the ball and run it well, and the Packers do not do a good job stopping the run. If they can, if they can slow down Henry, if they can make the Titans beat the Packers through the air, they've got a shot, and a good one, I think. If they can't, they may not deserve to be in the playoffs anyway. Because if you can't stop one very obvious part of your opponent's attack, do you deserve to be in that 14-team tournament anyway? I kind of don't think so. At least they'll be in their fun white uniforms if things all go sideways anyway. That's all I've got for you on this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I would appreciate it even more if you would give us um, the ultimate favor and uh, share this episode with someone you think would enjoy it too. 
that's going to help more people find the show and it's going to help more people get involved with this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.